were you going to say we should have like a big party where we invite all our listeners to play croquet with us? No, but <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> Okay. Hi, everyone. I'm Danny. I'm Summer, and we are Bisexually Lit. Sparkle, 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 sparkle. Welcome to our podcast, well, where we explore films uh, and yell about them. And we're totally sober, by the way, just for the record. It's just this is how just we, who we are. are. <laughs> and today we are talking about the 1989 classic, Heathers, directed by... Michael Lehman. Yeah, and written by Daniel Waters, starring Winona Ryder and Christian Slater. Uh, It is a classic of the satirical comedy. Black comedy. Yeah, black, dark. (laughs) 80s. Yeah. Uh, And we're going to get into it today. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So, Danny, you, I know this film is like pretty near and dear to you. Like, when, when did you see it? I think I saw this for the first time when I was in college, actually. I didn't see it in high school because I didn't watch R-rated movies in high school because I'm a loser. No, same. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. yeah, So one of the first times I watched it, I believe I was in college, probably my sophomore year. It was on Hulu. That's still pretty, like, angsty that you watched it at BYU-Idaho. Oh, my God. Yeah, (laughs) totally. Um, And I immediately loved it. Uh, It's, I don't know. I think I just kind of had a crush on JD, but that's because I have terrible taste in men. Um, no offense to any man I've ever dated. You guys are usually pretty good. Um, but yeah, I I really enjoyed it. I thought that the comedy was great. I thought that the characters were well built and um, it said a lot about society. So uh, it, it is one that I tend to share with people a lot. Um, yeah. What, what is your relationship with this movie, Summer? Yeah, honestly, like, I cannot even remember the first time I saw it. Really? Um, It was certainly later in my life, probably in my late, late 20s. Um, I want to say my ex's brother was like super into it. And he was like, we got to watch this movie. I'm pretty sure we were like staying at some weird old white rich guy's house like in park city we were working like a beer event and we stayed the night or something i'm sorry and he has i know i know i maybe this was all a dream i don't know people (laughs) but he had like a home theater and i think we watched it there um but yeah first time seeing it um i was pretty like taken aback with the the writing like real I loved it the writing's so witty and like definitely otherworldly which we'll get into um but also I don't know if I knew how to feel after the first time I watched it it made me uncomfortable which is the point it is very Um, complicated yeah and I was just kind of like I I this is a good movie like I can tell it's like well done but I feel weird (laughs) yeah Um, Uh, but yeah same and I think this movie it's been um, over three decades since it came out and I think it's gotten even more complicated you know like yeah. the experience of engaging with this movie is yes. so much more complicated now than it was when it was originally released uh, just in light of all of the horrific societal things that have weird you know that have happened since 89 uh yeah how much we've devolved <laughs> in some ways i mean like not necessarily of... starting at columbine but definitely yeah. influenced by, by columbine and then yeah. 
everything that's come since then, uh, school shooters and incels and um, conversations about suicide and teen bullying. But I think that this movie is still very valuable for what it says about all of that stuff. Um, Yeah, so this movie is very complicated and you will understand when I tell you the plot. If you have not seen it, this is the story of Veronica Sawyer, a junior played by Winona Ryder, a junior in high school. Um, and she is part of a popular clique. Uh, it's her and three other girls, all of whom are named Heather, and they are vile bitches. Um, and Veronica is a little bit more alt. <laughs> so this is the story of her meeting a very hot young Christian Slater who's serving school shooter realness for the entirety and of the movie. Channeling Jack Nicholson. Very for some literally. Reason. What yeah. a choice. Okay. <laughs> I actually have thoughts about this. Yeah. It's like Leonardo DiCaprio, but evil. Um I thought Leonardo DiCaprio was just evil in general. <laughs> that too, but like the I'm thinking like Titanic. Yeah, Leo. yeah, yeah, yeah. Like yeah, it's kind like, of demonic. Like yeah, like yeah. OG baby Leo, sure. but evil. Sure. Um, yes, I love anyway, that. <laughs> so he is a new kid in school who wears a trench coat, and it's this is the story of them uh, hooking up and then murdering several people in their high school they yeah yeah first kind of unintentionally on her end ish yeah. but then it's yeah slippery slope <laughs> exactly um he manipulates her and they fake a series of suicides uh on three of the most popular people in school which sets off a huge societal swell of what the fuck is going on Um, And as this is happening, uh, you know, you see how the different people in the town are reacting to the suicides. This also sets off a couple other copycat suicides from one of the Heathers and um, an unpopular girl named Martha Dunstock, a.k.a. Martha Dump Truck. As this is all happening, Veronica and JD, their relationship becomes increasingly volatile. And eventually JD thinks about murdering her and it all culminates in JD's attempted bombing of the school, he wants to frame it as a mass suicide, uh, and Veronica has to stop him. Anything that I missed? I mean, that was an amazing high-level recap. Thank you so much. <laughs> There's so, so many things I want to say that there I is cannot wait. <laughs> so much here. Uh, and obviously, you can understand why this movie is so fucked up, mm-hmm. but still so important to any conversation about... Uh, suicide teen movies school shooters and all of these things it is so at the heart of yeah this. it's remained relevant through mm-hmm. all these years absolutely uh summer you said you had some interesting stuff on the background of this film yeah so kind of before we get into the discourse um danny mentioned yes it was released in 1989 um this was michael layman's feature debut so his first feature film um <laughs> okay, so this dude, this fucking bro, are you ready for this? Yeah, I know nothing about his, him. I didn't even know who it was. So he he's directed a ton of TV. So like this was his first feature. And then later on, he directed Airheads. Did you ever see that? With Brendan Fraser and I think Polly Shore is in it. I have never I seen I've it. Seen trailers. But I've heard buzz from people about just how ridiculous is it. it one is it one of those Brendan Fraser movies that's like the, in- like in the Man. Encino Man? Like, where yeah. it's just like... You put this himbo on screen. What is he doing here? Why oh, is- and it's delightful. Like, <laughs> I thank love that you. Man. What a treat. Cool. Um, 
Yeah, I'm so probably but, sure of but all this people. guy, right? So he went to uh, USC, studied film, Michael Lehman, and the thing that he was known for prior to Heather's was a short. Do you want to know what this short was called, Danny? Please. <laughs> it's called "The Beaver Gets a Boner." <laughs> So, so he's edgy. He's very edgy. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. So, um, Daniel Waters, who wrote the script, he originally wrote this screenplay as a spec script and he wanted to pitch it to Stanley Kubrick. So what? he tried for fucking years to get Kubrick to direct Heather's, which can I just say? Fucking deranged. Like, uh-huh. It would be such a different film, but also like. It would, I think it would work. Um, I think that that is the alternate dimension that I would want to live in in this world. Totally. Everything the same except Stanley Cooper. Yes, absolutely. Um, Daniel Waters, you're a visionary. Yeah, namely because Kubrick did direct Dr. Strangelove. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen that, but it is I a black comedy about but, yeah, nuclear bombs. Like a good satire. Uh-huh. Yeah. It's really good. It's been a long time since I saw that. We should probably maybe cover oh, that. Oh, yeah. That's on my future. list of things to watch. Um, so let's do it. Yeah. So anyway, I just, that like kind of blew my mind a little bit when I read that because I was like, wow. I mean, imagine if Stanley Kubrick had directed this. Let me just say, he shot for the moon with that one. He was like, okay, it's yeah. the late 80s. <laughs> Uh, Kubrick, he's available, right? Yeah. To direct with this my, here's my teen little comedy. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, he he did write this um, deliberately to you know be in contrast with all of the John Hughes films that were very popular during this time, which you can tell. I mean, you know, a lot of the tropes are still there, but they do subvert them. Um, and yeah, it didn't do super great. It didn't even like it didn't make a profit. So the budget was three million dollars. Um, box office numbers they hit one point one million. Um, but it did not take long to become a cult classic for many of the reasons that you stated, Danny. Um, and I think those are like the main things that I wanted to hit on. Um, I'm sorry. Beaver gets a boner. Beaver gets a boner. So I guess like I haven't seen it. I actually scoured the Internet trying to find the short not available. So if anyone finds it, please drop the link. Because <laughs> Listen, my curiosity has peaked. Michael, um, if you're listening to this, <laughs> we trust you. Give it to us. Yes. Um, but I guess it was about some high school kid climbing the social ladder um, and in turn getting his boner, his nut. He got his nut. <laughs> All right. Cool. Um, yeah. So, Interesting. yeah, I think, uh, I think that we have our work cut out for us here and I cannot wait to dive in. Yeah. Um, first, first thing we want to address with this, we're going to be talking a lot about how it's a satire and examining some of the writing and, and character. But first thing we want to get out of the way is this is a fucked up movie. Yeah. Could not um, be made today. It yeah, not absolutely not. I don't I wouldn't want it to be made today. No. It only works because it's 30 years old. Yeah. And In this climate, come on. Yeah. yeah, this movie it incorporates it's a lot of stuff about suicide, depression, uh abuse Violence. Violence, school shootings, school bombings. Literally in one of the first scenes, JD takes out a gun in a school 
and fires blanks at the two jocks, uh, Ram and Kurt. To who be were, fair, it was uh, retorting against their homo homo. Yeah, like they called him remarks, the slur, but, but I don't think no, that no, that's... it doesn't warrant um, open shooting, even if they were blanks. Like, I'm sorry, Steven Seagal tries to get away with the same shit and. What? Okay, sorry. Okay, this is a what? tangent. Okay, okay, okay. So allegedly, which I have it on good. Fuck Steven Seagal, faith by the way. That, oh, absolutely. Yeah. He was shooting a shitty, you know, one of his shitty B movies here in Salt Lake, and my ex was working on it. When was this? This was like seven or eight years ago, I want to okay. say. So wait, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> so. He was shooting from a high building and Steven Seagal. Okay, so let me just say this. So when the I'm sorry, this is such a tangent, but it it has to be said. So his writer, first of all, is one of the most ridiculous things. I got a peek at it. One of one of the things on his writer is that when you're on set with Steven Seagal, if you must refer to him, you must refer to him as Mr. Seagal. Do not make eye contact with Mr. Seagal unless he initiates the eye contact and approaches you first. I'm sorry. How <laughs> does that work? And then also... You have to be looking at someone to make... What? I know. And then also he brings all of his own weapons. Um, so he he has a private jet that he like travels with. And it's filled to the brim with all of his own guns, assault rifles, knives, swords, what have you. And he rents out a house where he, you know, stows all of these away. This and is then, a menace to society. Uh-huh. And apparently, so one day on set, he was supposed to be shooting with the designated um, from from the armorer, right? Like the designated set gun with blanks. And they found out later that he was firing live rounds. Um, oh my god! So a lot of people walked prison because of that. Fucking prison. They people have set. died from yeah. that so recently. Uh huh. So ah. fuck that guy. Anyway, so fuck yeah, that guy's so hard. <laughs> so we do not condone gun violence at all. In fact, yeah, I personally, we don't need to get into the politics of guns. Yeah, of course. Um, but you know the way that he opened fires, it's very alarming. It's very. Um, when you say he, are you talking about? Sorry, JD. We're back. We're back to Heather's people. Yeah. Uh, not Steven Seagal. We will put him to bed for now. But yeah, when when uh, Christian Slater, JD, open fires in the cafeteria, it really sets the tone. Yeah. Quickly. Let's you know exactly what kind of fucker you're dealing with here. Um, yeah. My first impression really- was just like literally my notes say like the open firing in the cafeteria. Jesus. Can I give you my first impression of <laughs> yes. JD? Um, so last night I watched this with someone, um, who is not exceptionally queer, but we were watching the film and he was like, oh my God, that's a hot guy. That guy is so hot. And I was like, yeah, I know. First impression, he's like sitting there aloof, like kind of judgingly watching Veronica and the Heathers. And like, he's very, very hot. And it's unfortunate how hot he is because he's such a piece of shit. Yeah. Because yeah. But after he, after he shoots, you kind of stop being attracted to him as much because what the fuck a lot of that mystery is kind of like yeah ruined yeah, right off exactly. the bat there so anyway um yeah the um summer you were saying that you read an article or something from yeah. a gen z person i was who- kind of looking up like um how different audiences like received this movie and to be honest i didn't even bookmark this this review it wasn't great but um there were some gen zers who were watching this and they wrote the review and they immediately were just like 
yep, we were triggered right off the bat. Like, this is not how this should be handled, which I understand. But like, yeah, yeah, like this is a satire. And and that is the entire point of this film. (laughs) Yeah, totally. Like we we can have lots of I don't know. There have been a lot of conversations about suicide and school shootings uh, over the last five years. Um, I'm thinking of like it, it, like specifically in media. I don't want to get into like the actual crux of the issue, but like you think about how 13 Reasons Why was handled and all the backlash to that. It would have yeah. been so much worse if this had come out, if Heather's had come out in the era of the um, of the Internet. But also, I think that's one of the reasons that it's worth talking about. Um, it like despite all the vile shit in this movie, it is such a good like, hang on, how do I want to phrase this? Despite everything that happens in this movie, it is an incredible examination of how people react to tragedy, how people react to teenage tragedy, specifically violence in uh, these um, situations and stuff. And so it's yeah. it is a cultural artifact that is very much worth engaging with if you have the emotional capacity to. I love that. Beautifully said. And just to piggyback off of that, I think the reason why it is so effective as well is because with this setting, right, having this high school setting, um, it acts as like a microcosm, right, for society in, Which in whole. Which is crazy because like JD says that at one point. He's like this is happening because this school is society. Mm-hmm. Um, there's layers to this film. Anyway, uh, yeah, but yeah it, it's a microcosm for like how we react when things go bad. Yes. And and also um, and we'll get into this more as well. But like, you know, when we start to break down how different characters react to the tragedy, um, we see that, you know, society has been conditioned by capitalism specifically um, to monetize and capitalize on everything mm-hmm. and Use those things to benefit yourself. <laughs> yeah. Um, there is a, a song in this film called uh, Teenage Suicide, Don't Do It by a band called Big Fun. And it, it's sort of a an underlier of um, this understanding of like teenage suicide is bad. And also we can make money off of teenage suicide being bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, at one point in the film, JD says the following. He says, you don't get it, do you? Society nods its head at any horror the American teenager can think to bring upon itself. So it's I think that that is a very good crux of like why th- we should talk about this movie is because it understands that none of this is ta- was none of this was taken seriously at the time. And every single tragedy, every single suicide is used to further everyone's personal goals. Um, but yeah, yeah. Uh, that's why we're talking about this. That's why we think this movie is valuable. And also, this is a very funny, good movie. Yes, the <laughs> writing fun is phenomenal. To watch. Uh, and we're the gonna... characters are like, I think they're so well fleshed out, honestly, totally. for being like a satire as well. Mm-hmm. It's very easy to just kind of lean on like, because they are, they are tropey, but like they're still well written. Yeah, they're unique for being tropey. Mm-hmm. Every they they all contribute to the construction of each trope. Mm-hmm. Um so yeah, we want to get into some of the amazing satire, some of the lines that we enjoyed and the full analysis of this film when we come back from a quick break. See you soon.
Listen close. You'll hear it in the rustle of the leaves and the whisper of the wind. In the falling snow and drifting clouds. The song of the road. The story of the people of this world. A soaring eagle, a scampering mouse, and the myths that surround them. They traveled through snow-dappled fields and across rolling oceans. To raucous festivals and somber forests. Not every journey needs a destination. Sometimes it's enough to wander and roam. Wander and Roam, an improvised pastoral story, releases Wednesdays at 8 a.m. Welcome back, listeners. We're here talking about Heathers. And, um, yeah. <laughs> yes, hello. Welcome back. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, we're really excited to, uh, we kind of wanted to start by talking about, like, the dynamics of the relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, primarily, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think that talking about relationship, because in the past, uh, with Howl's Moving Castle, we talked about characters specifically. Yeah. I think that this movie would benefit from getting an analysis of the different relationships. Yes. So we're going to start with the Heathers and their relationship to each other and to Veronica. We'll dive into Veronica's relationship with her parents. Yeah. And we will also talk about Veronica's relationship with JD. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, we are the going titular to... titular Heathers. <laughs> we're going to start with Heathers. Something I thought was super interesting. I don't know if this is like actually the case because I, I am <laughs> not as familiar with... 80s high school movies as with 90s high school mu- movies but there is definitely like a trope after heathers of like the three bitches who run the school you know yeah like so many even like girls, we saw that like, so much in like disney channel right yeah yeah was heathers the codifier of that um, it kind of seems that way Al- although you could argue that it goes back to like Macbeth. <laughs> right, true. I don't... The Heathers as the witches from Macbeth. Let's Ooh, talk about it. Yes. Uh, anyway, sorry. That's a great question slash point. I'm not sure. Um, I don't know. I'm, but they I'm are I'm iconic. scanning through like other 80s high school films <clears throat> and... I feel like it was just none a lot of skiing. Out. Yeah, none pop out in my mind of like the three main mm-hmm. bitches. Yeah. Yeah. So. so this is definitely a codifier for a lot of cultural touchstones. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, let let's talk about the Heather's summer. What are, what are you thinking about the Heather's? So, <laughs> I I I would like to start by just um, applauding our friend Daniel Waters uh, in oh in God. his I, writing. Uh, Honestly, like he crushes this. It, the dialogue. It's so. Sometimes, okay, I feel different ways because, like, I would catch myself in various moments while watching this being like, wow, this is, like, so witty, right? Like, the banter is so witty, and he does, um, he introduces, like, this very unique slang that really does help build this world, um, this this satirical world. Um, it almost, okay, in the context that he was trying to pitch this to Kubrick, it almost reminds me of a Clockwork Orange. Oh sure, how how they have all of their yeah all various, their weird like ultra violence um, slang. Yeah. I wonder if that's what he was. Going that is for. funny. I hadn't thought yeah. of that. But yeah, me neither. But um, <laughs> it, it is like a very effective slang. Yeah, because you know exactly what it means, and also it's not related to this world at all. Mm-hmm. Anyway, yeah, some of the some of my favorite quotes that I caught some of them saying, um, "The main Heather, what is Heather her last Chandler. name? Heather Chandler. Thank you." It's Heather Duke, Heather Chandler, and Heather McNamara. That's right. 
Um, I was Heather not Chandler. reading notes for that one, you guys. <laughs> that was straight off of their I dome. I just know this movie very well. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Heather, we, we see Heather saying, Heather Chandler saying, fuck me gently with the chainsaw. Like, iconic. Best line ever. Yeah. <laughs> um, Winona kind of coins this response saying, uh, well, there's a couple things, but in her, res- when she's responding to certain things that she thinks are um, vapid or uh, just not true she says how you're beautiful you're You're beautiful beautiful. it kind of reminds me of like oh you have such a sweet spirit like (laughs) it also low-key reminds me of gen z slang a little bit because like well no not necessarily gen z it's kind of passive aggressive yeah like like it's this thing of like you're beautiful in this like you're so cut off from everything like how do you exist as this dumbass thing let me spend a day in your brain yeah yeah you're beautiful You're beautiful in the way that a slug is beautiful. Um, Yeah, another thing that Heather Chandler says. So Winona, we see her, or sorry, uh, Veronica. Veronica. (laughs) We see her writing in her diary, you know. And, okay, this is totally random. But the first time she's writing in her diary on the stairs, I think she's, like, on the stairs of the school, her writing is so fucking big. It's all that big. She has, like, ten words per page. I think it gets a little more It does get a little smaller as it goes on. (laughs) But, like, there are several points where it's, like, you only fit five lines onto that page. What the fuck is... What a waste of paper. By the end of this movie, you will need a new notebook. (laughs) But, Um, like, I guess if that's where she... If that's how it works for her, that's cool. But... Maybe paper was cheaper in the 80s. Mm, yeah. Uh, we had less of um, a clear picture of how imminent uh, the end of the world was. They were like, we point. have to deforest the world so fast, you guys. Yeah. Right? Really big. <laughs> it's our job. Yeah. Um, um, but yeah, Heather Chandler says when she's speaking about her role as the queen bee, per se, right? Having this authority uh, relation with the rest of this society that's existing in their school. Um, She says, real life sucks losers dry. If you want to fuck with the eagles, you've got to learn how to fly. What a fucking mixed metaphor. Uh She does not know how to talk. I, I think that that is such an interesting quote. Like... It's so interesting that that's how she perceives, like, conceives of herself. Yes. And the world. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, actually, I'm not the bitch here. Life is the bitch. I'm just getting everybody used to it. That's not how this works. No, yeah. But, I mean, if you're looking at it through, like, if this is an allegory for capitalism, like... In order to thrive, like like it's like if you want to fuck with the eagles, like you do, kind of have to like find your own way to be cutthroat. If you're, I mean, I'm not. I can, in order to yeah. succeed in that stereotypical way, you know, like I can kind of see that. Um, I I don't tend to take a capitalist reading or uh yeah a capitalist reading on this quite as much, but like I definitely see where that is. Like so many people, especially like in the 80s, in the time of like Wall Street greed never sleeps or whatever yeah it's not but yeah like the whole greed is good (laughs) thing. um it was so many people just trying to justify their own mistreatment of others you know Uh uh-huh and i think that's exactly what she's doing yeah exactly because (sighs) even if she didn't have this worldview she would not be nicer right like or or kinder she literally says like like someone says why are you such a bitch and she's like why not yeah (laughs) she literally says that it's so interesting (laughs) i can be yeah and it speaks to a very complex and rich inner life that she has while also being a vapid piece of shit. Right. Well, because the thing is, like, Heather Chandler, there aren't very many moments where you can 
actually like her right she's pretty atrocious in a lot of ways but there is that moment when they go to the party right Mm -hmm. so they go to this college party which is terrible the the number of Oh my god, it's so triggering and the, like sexual the amount assaulty. of sexual assault, yeah, in this it's a casual lot. sexual assault too. Yeah, you're like this is fine. Another like, reason why, yeah, this yeah. would just not. But there's that moment where like we they don't show it, but we we assume that she gave this guy a blowjob, right? And she's in the bathroom. She's oh. rinsing her mouth out. She's drinking water, and she spits the water in the mirror when mm-hmm. she's looking at her own reflection. Yeah, and to me, like. That was like the first moment where I saw that there was like something more going on here. Yeah, this like, person seems to really hate herself. Yes. Um, and it's very interesting. You wonder how much that fuck with the Eagles worldview permeates like everything that she does. Like, is she pushing herself through all of this because it's just making her harder? It's just making her smarter. It's just making her better. You know, like it, it's so sad to see people bowing to the systems that oppress yes, them rather than feeding like, into it yeah rather yeah. than like what veronica does i mean i'm jumping the gun here a little bit so to speak but at the end you know she reclaims like the the bow heather's bow and oh she's this like, is the okay, big scrunchie I'm gonna yeah. be the main heather now mm-hmm. and she completely like throws out the the status quo out the window and she yeah. starts trying to rework the system and yeah. befriending um those on the mm-hmm. outskirts but like it is heartbreaking I, to see. It's almost like she she's too far into it, Heather Chandler, mm-hmm. that she just feels like there's no other choice. It's like she's out of options mm-hmm. then to lean into this. And I think it's, I think, so you use the word status quo, and I think that that is such a good, like, basis for the badness of the, the characters, right? So, like, Heather, the Heathers, and then the two jocks, Ram and Kurt, who uh, later commit more sexual assault, um, they all serve the status quo in such a precise and, uh, like on the nose way. Mm-hmm. Like it's always about like keeping the system in place, even though it hurts everybody because it's the system that gives you power. Right. Right. And so I think that like from that perspective, a capitalist approach is very like a really good reading of this. Cause like you, if you want to stay in power, if you want to stay on top, if you want to continue fucking with the continue eagles, to you oppress. have to push as many people down as possible. <laughs> yep. And then you have to go inside of yourself and do a bunch of like bullshit emotional work to say, oh, actually, I'm doing something good here. I'm I'm helping. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, the next time you're a bitch to somebody, not you, Summer, but listeners. <laughs> oh, <okay>. Hey, listeners, <laughs> like question the status quo. Yeah, um, always. But also... Sometimes JD also questions the status quo in this movie. Oh, there's there yeah, the, there's, there's definitely a, wrong a way, way to, to do it. So. Yeah, and and bombing a school is always the wrong way it's to do it. It's never going to be the right way, yeah, folks. So, um yeah, yeah what absolutely. Are, that's what a is, really good really good insight. Love that. Yeah. What, what are some other like quotes of yours? That you love. Oh, favorite for quotes. the Heather specifically. Yeah, yeah. Oh, um, okay. So yeah, fuck me gently with a chainsaw is amazing. Um, oh, you you wanted so how earlier, very yeah we were talking about the way that the Heather's like they have a specific. It's very. The word is very. Mm-hmm. Like this thing happened. Oh, that's so very. Like they coined that right. That's, yeah, that they did. That thing in the yeah, 80s. and it's so interesting. Like. Almost. Okay. Um, I was thinking a lot about the communication styles in this film and how everyone seems to like, uh, there's often a lot of abstraction, especially among the teenagers, right? The adults don't engage in a ton of abstraction, but there's a lot of like, um, 
metaphors yeah, being a lot of metaphors played, yeah, that, that the play. teenagers rely on. But very is so interesting because it's a modifier. Like it's an, I can't remember what part of speech it is, but it's a modifier for another descriptor, right? Um, yeah, right, yeah. right, right. And so the fact that there is no concept that it's referring to it's just very it kind of reminds me of modern speech where it's like oh i can't even like there is no actual reaction it's just this is a feeling and i'm not labeling it um so Mm -hmm. i i really like the how very yeah um that's a great point there are a couple other lines um Heather Duke says, why are you pulling on my dick? Oh, yeah. Love that. <laughs> I did like a double take. I was like, wait, did she just say pulling I love on that my line. Dick? It's so good. Um, you stupid fuck. You stupid fuck. <laughs> Gotta love that. Yeah. Get Crucial, I think. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Get, Get Crucial, crucial is really good. I kind of want I wish I could incorporate some of these into my daily life because like Let's they do it. They do kind of <laughs> capture a certain like what the moment yes (laughs) yeah um this isn't like a one-liner but one moment of dialogue that really stood out to me we were talking about the party scene and all of the casual sexual assault that was happening there um but when when veronica is getting hit on by that one college guy and he's uh like Oh, it's so cringe. But he's like, it's so nice not having to ask you what you're studying in college, what your major is. And then there's like a beat of silence. And she's like, wow, that's creepy as fuck. She doesn't say that. But that's what she's thinking. And then he goes, so when you go to college, uh, what subjects do you think you'll study? So embarrassing. (laughs) Such an idiot. There's so much vacuosity. Is that a word? I don't know. It's so vacuous. I love it. Yeah, I think that is. So many people around. And maybe, okay. Yeah. Veronica is so fucking bored. When she's around she the Heathers is. and all the popular kids, because there's so nothing, she's not there is just nothing. At all. Yeah, she's and that's not one stimulated. of the re- yeah, that's one of the reasons she falls for JD's JD, bullshit. Yes. is because he's so much more interesting. But um, they, I mean Heather uh, Heather Chandler's last words are corn nuts. Like there is so little going on in Veronica's life. She's so fucking existentially bored mm-hmm. by what she's doing. There's a time. There's a moment when she's talking about she's talking to JD about the Heathers, and. She says, like, oh, it's like they're my coworkers and our job is being popular. She talks about how, like, she was a gifted kid and in sixth grade they wanted to move her to high school because they didn't want her to be bored. And but like they they decided not to do that because she wouldn't. Yeah, she wouldn't be able to make friends. And now like the blah, blah, blah is all she does. Like Mm -hmm. she uses her high IQ to decide what kind of lip gloss to wear. And like. So many people are looking for something more, but all they can engage with with the status quo is just the same rote thing over and over and over. And that's when you get pulled into like, I don't know, bombing attempts. Yeah. <laughs> that's not well, like well, that in- specifically isn't generalizable. But yeah, like search for something more. Search for something real, because like the way that the Heathers talk versus the way that JD talks, they're so disparate. Mm-hmm. And also the way that. Um, Veronica talks because Veronica also engages in a lot of like poetic and mm-hmm. metaphorical language. Yeah, she does it in a more um, in a more rooted way, I'd say, yeah. than like the Heathers. Because like a lot of the other kids are speaking in metaphors, but it's like you were saying with the Eagles thing. It's, it's like vacuous. It's yeah. like it doesn't mean anything. Uh huh. Yeah. And I really like that point about like why she is attracted to JD um, mm-hmm. because he is this outlier. He mm-hmm. doesn't. You know, he's he's not boring. Um, and after he he de- we do see him open firing in the cafeteria. Um, he's having a conversation with Veronica mm-hmm. um, and they are talking about his actions. And um, he states that, like, 
the extreme always seems to make an impression. Yeah. And I think that, you know, that's a theme that is pervasive throughout, Mm -hmm. like, the whole film. Um, But I think it's interesting because, like, you talking about her existential boredom, right? She, and the thing is, it's like she doesn't need that much to make, to, like, stimulate her and, like, get her out of that zone. Because Mm -hmm. when, when they first start kind of commingling and they're going to play a prank. She thinks they're just going to play a prank on Heather, right? Mm -hmm. When they sneak into her home and and right before the first murder, Mm -hmm. um, what is her idea? Mixing milk and orange juice. Yeah, it's like milk and orange juice and then like hock up a a loogie into it. Yeah, Yeah. like she she has this really innocent view. And and for her, like that's enough. Like Mm -hmm. she doesn't need to push things further. Um, And JD is here, you know, to shake things up in a very major way yeah and i think that part of that is because of jd's fucking damage and the fact that he's like an inherently violent and abusive person right so like when you are bored when you're seeking a a difference from the status quo you're more vulnerable to being manipulated by bad actors definitely and so because she was trying to push back at least a little bit on heather jd was able to push her to the brink Mm -hmm. because she needed something to change. She was miserable in her life because she was bored. She didn't like her friends. Her parents. She, yeah, like she had no connections, right? Yeah. But JD wanted things to change because he wanted to punish the world for his own issues, you know? Mm-hmm. And so the she was so relieved for like any respite from the status quo that she went with him very quickly when, you know, don't do that without really yeah, yeah without really realizing evaluating. yeah what was going on mm-hmm. or um, taking the time to truly get to know him she was just enamored yeah. by and like his, she yeah which to be fair i mean it's christian slater like and <laughs> the thing is though like she at every point when she does something heinous like um up until after ram and kurt die she thinks that what they're doing is a joke right like when yeah. they kill heather she thinks that they're feeding her orange juice and milk Right. When they kill Kurt and Ram, she for the for the majority of it, she thinks that this is a prank. I would like right? to talk about he that her more face. because yeah. she lets herself. Oh, she absolutely like by the, that. Yeah. She, she even says that she's like, wait, that's not a thing, is it? Yeah. Like, and then JD says you believed it because you wanted to believe bullets. it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because like Ikluga bullets, that's not a thing. Yeah. yeah. But she wanted the prank to work. She wanted revenge on Kurt and Ram. She had been hurt. Yeah. And like it's when she's leaning into that hurt and embarrassment that she's most vulnerable to manipulation. Yes. Um, But then, so Veronica's goals through the whole film are very, like, it's just something, right? It's some change, something to change. And then at the end, um, after JD dies by suicide um, in a very fiery explosion, the true change that Veronica thinks is, like, worth her time, the thing that closes her character arc is taking the red scrunchie away from Heather Duke mm-hmm. and making friends with Martha Dunstock. Yeah. yeah. And so like those are the things that she probably would have wanted to do the whole time. Like stop the oppression and then like make a better change. Connect with people who aren't these like super annoying taking irritating. the power away from yeah. that class. Yeah. And so like that's what we should be pursuing, right? I I just think that like so many people are looking for an outlet looking for some way to change things yeah and the answer isn't to burn it all down the answer is to question the systems and create connections right like if you're looking for a change from the status quo the best thing to do is not 
literally any change, burn it all down. It is find what you can do that will change. Like identify the thing in your life that yes, sucks the most. And make those genuine connections because exactly. there is strength in numbers, of course. Yeah. And aside from that, we need those connections as humans. It keeps us humane. Exactly. Yeah. And um, I, I love that point. Yeah. I think that that's... I love, yeah, I love examining Veronica's arc and and pinpointing mm-hmm. how she does actually yeah. do that. And, and honestly, that tracks because there are several times throughout the film. What was her other friend's name? The one that she... Betty Finn. Yes, Betty Finn. She several times she calls tries Betty to Finn reconnect. To like yeah, yeah, they play croquet together. Mm-hmm. Um, which and the Heather's always shame her for wanting to be friends with Betty Finn. Always, she seems like a very like, sweet keep her girl. in her place. She's yeah. not one of us. Exactly, and it's mm-hmm. all those like lines between. Yeah, it's we to maintain the status quo, to maintain the power that we have, and like, um, it's it's sort of indicated that at one point Veronica like explicitly asked to be part of the Heathers um and so Heather Chandler like shames her for wanting to do something different wanting to be friends with Betty Finn wanting to hang out with JD wanting to do anything apart from the status quo and that's like this you is have to question you are, that. Yeah. And you are now responsible for maintaining this yeah and i think that all of this is so so like if i had to sum up this story it would be Veronica looking for a way to fix the existential dread and boredom that she's experiencing and making a bunch of mistakes on the way. And that is just the experience of being a teenager. Like, I think that that's one of the reasons that this movie works so well is because Veronica is a fundamentally understandable and flawed, but like very internally motivated character in looking for how do I escape from this life that I've built and that I was born into? Um, she's able to create connections in a way that, you know, a lot of teenagers are, are really desperate for. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. No, I, I like that because I kind of struggled with Veronica's character on this most recent viewing. Um, I, cause in my mind I was like, she's just as bad as the rest of them, you know, like mm-hmm. up until like the end. Yeah. Um, because she is benefiting from her position. Like Absolutely. she, and like, I don't know, like I kind of want to talk a little bit more about her relationship with the Heathers because there are several quotes where she she says like oh or we, you even mentioned the one with JD like oh we just killed my best friend or your worst enemy same difference yeah. you know and she 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 loves these girls but she also hates them because they're the, the worst yeah they're they are heinous mm-hmm. um but she is positioning herself in this in this clique um to reap the benefits right of like this like social class yeah um but i don't but also like i don't know i i'm just not really sure where i stand on on her it's very (laughs) calculated it's almost like machiavellian oh sure yeah yeah like she knows that this is the place where she's gonna be the best like socially Uh and so she just does and that's why she even goes to that party like she's like i have to go in order to Increase my social status. Increase standing. my social status yeah. and also best propel myself into that setting for the future years, right? Yeah, I, w- I would definitely agree that, like, she is just as bad, if not worse, than some of the Heathers. Because, like, I mean, Heather McNamara is the head she- cheerleader. She's depressed. And she seems very sweet and kind of dumb. Mm-hmm. Um, she is not comparable in character to Veronica. I would argue that Veronica is a worse person than Heather McNamara 
for the most part. Mm-hmm. She participates in very terrible bullying. She like humiliates Martha Dunstock in front of a bunch of people. I want to talk like about it's Martha. so like <laughs> yeah. so much of what Veronica does at the beginning of this movie is not justifiable or or defensible in any way. Mm-hmm. But maybe that's kind of like why she works as a character because she has such an arc and realizes like nothing is going to make me feel better unless I start like being a better person. Yeah. And like, honestly, I, I, I'm not saying that she is a good person who I would be friends with, but she is an incredible character. Oh, absolutely. And the thing is like, I, I feel like from a feminist standpoint, we're always asking for, female characters that are flawed we don't we don't need them to be these like you know perfect like strong female characters yeah yeah, like we don't we don't always need a sophie from howl's moving castle that's fine right we we love to see a flawed complex character and i i agree i think she's very well written um and i think honestly it's it's a wise choice that they make her just as problematic because that once she does reach the other side of her arc it is that much more you know profound um yeah i you'd brought up martha i i do want to talk about that because it's just okay so i don't know there's so many things so like we we see Martha hit the screen, and as soon as I see her, I know that she's there to be bullied, yeah. like immediately. Like it's the like, way that she's constructed is exactly like, like, hey, look at this person. You can you can hate her for being quiet. You can hate her for being fat. You can hate her for being a little bit more masculine. You can hate her for so many reasons. Uh-huh. Take your pick. Yes. Let's bully her. Yeah, and did you realize that she does not have a speaking line until the very end of the movie? Oh my god. She does not Are you speak kidding? until wow. Veronica asks her to hang out at the end. Holy shit. You're yeah. right. Yeah. And I, like if I'm are, wrong, let me know. But I'm pretty sure I, I No, I think you're I, right. I'm pretty sure that's the case. Yeah, because like you see her speak on screen, but you don't hear her. Mm-hmm. Like you hear her talking to Kurt when she's about to be viciously bullied. Yeah, we don't hear um, that conversation at you all. You see JD talking to her at one point and you uh, later, it's referenced that JD had an entire conversation with her and got along quite well. Mm-hmm. But like, yeah, she doesn't say anything. She, That's the I think, first yeah. time we hear her speak at the very end. Oh my god! So okay, I that is so interesting because I was thinking about um. So in the end, when JD is at his most Joker pilled, yeah. uh, he's talking about how the only place that Heather's and Martha's can coexist, or, or like the the cool kids and the lame kids can coexist, is in heaven. Um, which, like, oh yeah, yeah, interesting. Um, he's full of shit, but like the fact that he is like supposedly advocating for Martha and her sort of like class ilk. Um, without actually talking to her or like forming a meaningful connection with her, really, so crazy. Yeah, like, he's, he's it also so says a shit. lot about him. Yeah, oh he's yeah, just it, it full says of shit. it says so much about him and very little about Martha. Yes. Also, like Martha is an entire like subplot in this. She attempts suicide yeah. after um a series of horrific bullying things, and then like uh, after Kurt and Ram die, yeah. She attempts suicide. She's a big plot point in yeah, this. Yeah, she it, is. Yeah. I also I, wanted to talk about uh, everyone's reactions to her suicide attempt. Yes, because, yes. Um, so at, when Martha um, attempts to take her own life, 
afterwards, um, Heather Duke finds Veronica and is like, oh my God, did you hear Martha Dunstock tried to kill herself? And Veronica's like, is she dead? Yeah, like, is she dead? Is she okay? And Heather Duke like laughs and says, oh yeah, totally. She's fine. Is she, like she, she doesn't even she, care about how she's doing. It's It's about... It's just another case of a loser trying to copy the cool well, kids. Right. She bullies her even further and shames her for doing an unsuccessful job. Yeah. Like suicide. You, She's you like, she couldn't even manage yeah. to kill herself. And like, it's so crazy that that's what the takeaway is. Right. Because it's a bit of like dramatic irony because Heather Duke doesn't know this, but this is the first actual suicide attempt in the fucking movie. Right. Heather, Prior to these, yeah, Heather framed. Chandler and yeah, yeah, Heather Ram and Kurt did not commit suicide. And so the fact that this is the one thing that actually, yeah, there's, Oh my God. There's it's gravity so, to this because yeah. it's a true. Yeah. And both. the fact that this is the one that wasn't sensationalized, that wasn't like everyone didn't latch right. onto. We don't see. They her just f- waved it off. Right. Because this is an actual suicide and like no one fucking cares. Oh my God. It's crazy. Um, yeah. It's a very interesting, like, sort of thematic cul-de-sac about, Ooh, like, I love that. let's talk about, <laughs> let's talk about how little, uh, and this was very intentional on the writer's part, I'm assuming, but, like, let's talk about how little anyone actually cares and only cares when it's, like, a hot person. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there's an entire song, there's an entire movement about preventing teenage suicide, but then when teenage suicide actually happens, eh, forget it, it's whatever. Yeah. It's just another loser trying to imitate the cool kids. Yeah. Um, I do want to say we are, uh, I think we need to take a little break. Cool. Um, but we will come back and talk a little bit more about these relationships and, and what we're what we're discovering. This is a very interesting conversation we're having. We'll be right back. Bye. We are back from break, guys. Welcome back, y'all. We got to screaming on our break. I <laughs> uh, can't wait to tell you guys what we were thinking about. Um, so now that we've talked a little bit about... Veronica, the Heathers, uh, and their relationship to society and the status quo. We want to talk a little bit about um, how society reacts to teenage suicide. Yeah. Uh, Because there are some interesting things. Yeah. What do you want to start with? Yeah. Um... The parents, perhaps. Yeah, let's start. Let's talk about the parents. We haven't really like touched base too much on yeah. the parents at all, and Veronica's relationship with her parents. Mm-hmm. Veronica and her parents seem very distant from each mm-hmm. other. There's a huge disconnect. Yeah. So there's. Uh, I think that it's well captured in two conversations that she has with her parents. Uh, one is after she's like hanging out with the Heather's at their house. The Heather's leave, and then. She sits down, sorry, Veronica sits down with her parents to have pate. Pate. And they ask her about prom and they like joke around about spy novels. Yeah. He's like, why am I reading this? And she goes, because you're an idiot. Yeah. Like it's <laughs> all like, very, oh, right. <laughs> yeah. It, none of it is very like in depth, uh, mm-hmm. but it just shows like a very, very cordial, surface. yeah, a very cordial relationship with her parents. Yeah. Um, and it, it like, I think that this conversation in isolation isn't necessarily a red flag for her relationship with her sure, parents. Sure. Sure. But, but, and I was going to say the first time, um, well, when I was watching this previously, that first conversation, I, it didn't even clock for me that these were her parents. Like yeah. I literally thought that this was one of the Heather's parents, mm-hmm. the way that she was interacting with them, because True. it did feel so um there was like such a wall like an emotional wall built mm-hmm. um 
yeah it didn't even like register for me yeah and that does come back to the theme of like heather oh sorry of veronica needing connection you know Mm -hmm. because her parents are not they seem very waspy they seem yes just like yeah they they're the worst waspy is a yes good way but then um later after uh heather chandler's alleged suicide uh it's before the funeral and Veronica sits down with her parents. It's framed exactly it's the same mirrored. way. Yeah, beat for uh, beat. It's mirrored. and yeah, they have the same conversation about like just plug in different things. Yeah, plug like, in different things. They they talk about like cigarettes. He's and, smoking. Why am I doing this? Because you're an idiot. Yeah, oh, I knew that. Prom and like the fact is, one of her best friends just, just died, died by suicide, mm-hmm. and her parents don't say a single thing about it. Mm-hmm. The only time that the suicide like comes up is when Veronica says, oh, I got a motor if I'm going to be on time for the funeral. Mm -hmm. Which, before that, she was was saying, I got a motor (laughs) if I'm going to be on time for the party. The party to which she drove with Heather Chandler. Yeah. Um, And And her parents have the same reaction. Yeah, there's no, like, hey, are you doing okay? Mm -hmm. And we also see similar things later. So, like, um, at one point after, uh, you know, the news is talking about the suicides, and her parents are like, oh, my God, look, there's Heather Duke, blah, blah, blah. Like, they're so they're unable to engage with the material things that are happening yeah. in her daughter's life and are only able to invest in the aesthetic, yes. which is the same problem that she has with so many other with people in her life. With all of her relationships. It's so vacant. Well, and the moment when um, they become aware of the fact that she might be suicidal herself. Yeah. Which is, they were tipped off by JD, yeah. I believe, if I'm not mistaken. And oh my goodness, the, the moment when they were sitting in the living room and she comes in and it's just that like very tropey like okay sit down we need to have like a serious talk like kind of like after school special kind of shit where the parents are like addressing something and even in that moment there's no like how are you handling all of this are you okay it's more just shaming for even yeah. being in possibly being in that mindset and like this and how said it will that we need them. to te- keep you away from like uh sharp objects and yeah. prescription drugs and it's like so surface. how about like if your kid is suicidal if your kid is experiencing suicidal thoughts you don't, mm. talk to them yes like, they need and they the need thi- to be loved and seen yeah and the thing is like that kind of conversation is so hard to have but like it is so much easier to fall into that avoidant behavioral yeah, pattern it becomes so avoidant and, <laughs> and it's so, so hard to break out of that yeah and then um yeah so they they don't know how to address the fact that the, their daughter is in a suicide suicidal state it's really tragic the yeah. the fact that the people who should be most equipped to prevent suicide or um like engage with their children on an are, emotional level that's not surface yeah it's so it's void distant yeah, yeah. yeah. um so yeah that's one uh examination that we mm-hmm. get in the film about how a society specifically adults react to suicide uh, we, we did we touched on how the the, the peers their peers mm-hmm. um reacted yeah so i think we covered that yeah um, let's talk about peggy the, f- sorry the pauline teachers fleming. and pauline fleming in oh specific. yeah oh yeah. yeah i didn't even think about because the they have a meeting there's a, there's a time yeah like the school board it's like all they're all smoking inside which okay <laughs> oh um, the 80s <laughs> so they're talking about like how much time is appropriate to get off of school mm-hmm. they're like oh i can't shut the all school of the down. ancillary things yeah 
Um, they at one point they like analyze Heather Chandler's suicide note and say like, oh my god, it's so great that she, she used the word myriad. Yeah, and and then I think I don't know if it's the principal or whoever is the head of the school board, um, kind of redirects to Pauline Miss Fleming, mm-hmm. um, and he's like, Who well, seems to be the guidance counselor, maybe you would be better equipped to deal mm-hmm. with the, you know the the full gravity of the situation and she is she is enthused and full of vigor mm-hmm. to um spearhead this special project to make suicide uh, a new topic of you know discourse discourse for for the youth the the, the youth of Westerberg mm-hmm. so but the, the interesting thing is that like there's again such a surface level approach like her idea of handling this is to bring all the students together it reminds me very much of like mean girls but yeah so it's just basically like everyone hold hands and let's have a kumbaya moment and everything's fine and we're here for each other and like and that's yeah, when the, all the, the, the news cat- reporters yeah. come and there's cameras and it's it's turning into this yeah. you know and then, yeah and later um you see like what's airing on tv about this whole gathering and like singing kumbaya, kumbaya and stuff oh. and you hear a voiceover by Miss Fleming saying like in a moment of cleansing synchronicity a television (laughs) crew came upon us while we were in this like healing experience they just happened upon us no that's not how any of this happens yeah like it's so fucked up it's all about the spectacle it's all about monetization Mm -hmm. it's all about being in the public eye and doing the thing that will get you the most attention Yeah, which the worst. which similar peer reactions, you know, um, in the same light, uh, saying like, well, I'm only going to do this if I can somehow Jimmy rig a way to add this to my resume mm-hmm. for Brown or, or finding a way that they are going to personally benefit. Yeah. Um, and oh, and then Heather rampant. Duke is like all up in this cameras and like talking about how close she was with Heather uh-huh. Chandler. I think that these points are the parts that are so like some of the things that hold up the most it's like yeah and so They're realistic still relevant today these yeah. people are just trying to capitalize on the death of a young person yeah. and make it all about them yeah <sighs> it is tough to watch because i think yeah. it is so it's very relevant. well written though. Yeah, yeah definitely um i know we wanted to are we ready to talk a little more about jd and yeah, veronica let's talk about their JD. relationship I, I know you have a thoughts. lot danny danny has that, a lot of feelings and thoughts about this movie and i, I yeah i just love sitting back and it's so listening. interesting because like i think that jd was a character that i really not connected with or identified with but like um, but yeah, he's a, he's a character that very much sticks in my mind. As you like were obsessed in that you were revering him. Right. Or you it were was just, more an aesthetic influence. Yes. Um, that trench coat. <laughs> I mean, when he uh, sticks a cigarette in his mouth and lights it, I'm like, maybe I should take up smoking. I'm a smoker now, question mark? <laughs> like, Christian Slater's hot. Let's talk about it. Oh, but um, you have to separate JD from, what was that? I was just thinking Brad Pitt was up for that role at one point. Was he? <laughs> yeah, and I'm really glad that it ended up going to Christian Slater, honestly. Yeah, I think Brad Pitt's a little <laughs> He's too, too cavalier. Yeah, like. <laughs> and like he, if they had used him for this, they wouldn't have been able to use him for Tyler Durden. What if we had ended up getting Christian Slater as I Tyler mean, Durden? I mean, I wouldn't be mad about that. I know, I but... think that that would be uh, interesting. <laughs> um, 
Um, but yeah, sorry, JD. So yeah. yes, his aesthetic. You were mostly his aesthetic is fantastic. Drawn like to. I am a huge fan of like punk guys from the eighties and nineties who smoke cigarettes inside. Ooh. Uh, thinking about like Heath Ledger in Ten Things I Hate About You, Judd Nelson in The Breakfast Club. Like, how about right. Lost Boys? Never seen. <gasps> I should. Oh my God, you would love Lost, Lost Boys. Lost Boys. Um, the aesthetic, you're gonna be obsessed. Yeah. Okay, Can't but like, wait. I think that that aesthetic influence is one of the reasons that Veronica was so into him first Definitely. of all and also how yeah like hey, well the it's fact just easier that he, for hot guys to get away with shit. and I think the fact that he didn't fall into any of these cliques like yeah. he, he, he was, was an loner. outlier yeah he's, he's a lone wolf um there's that moment when he sees her on that double date right mm-hmm. so this is before Kirk oh my god and, yeah yeah when yeah, they're cow tipping. Ah, that scene is oh, rough scene. to watch. Yeah. Um, but he says, like, he says, wow, after seven schools, oh, shit, yeah. I don't remember the exact line, but it's like after seven schools, everybody's the same. Yeah, it's all the only the same. thing different is my locker combination. Yes. Like, he has a world weariness that mm-hmm. appeals because it's like, yeah, this sucks. Like He doesn't he buy recon- into yeah. the system. Exactly. But- he recognizes <laughs> that everything sucks. And, like, his pursuit of, the, of a change of the status quo is is an attractive quality. Yes. He's just a fucking murderer. It just gets, so like, yeah, maybe he's not. a psychopath. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah it's But great. I love, but, I, I kind of want to, I don't know if we have more to say about this, but I just wanted to say, I love the point you made about how Veronica being in such a vulnerable state mm-hmm. made her more susceptible to his, you know, wiles. So trying Absolutely. to win her over with the, these ideas. Yeah. And I think that that's, I think that he could probably be a really great cult leader. Yeah, true. <laughs> well, like he, the tactics of abuse that he uses, Unspool often the thoughts. dynamics that are in a, an abusive relationship are very yeah. similar to the dynamics of a cult leader. Totally. So the totally isolation. Yeah. Yes. And the, um, like causing you to question everything. Yeah. And the fact that Veronica was so isolated and cut off from people around her, it made her exceptionally uh, vulnerable for that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, just like a cult. So like if you're lonely, maybe avoid charismatic yeah and he i think that honestly she felt seen by him too yeah totally because she has all of these really you know deep thoughts that she's expressing through her writing and and her her perception of herself is that yeah she is this really intelligent specimen Mm -hmm. who's just her her intelligence is being wasted and he stops and sees her through all of that yeah he Um, engages with her he laughs at the same things he thinks the same things are stupid totally and i think that like of course that would be alluring yeah you know like to have someone finally like and recognize that you're not one of them you're not like the other girls yeah totally (laughs) so i know veronica she obviously challenges him Mm -hmm. like she challenges this idea but he never like to what extent does JD ever like argue his point of thinking that murder is the answer? I mean, I, it's kind of a bullshit. A yeah. yeah, he does, but I mean, like, does he get challenged really? Like, she does challenge him at the end, but I don't feel like there's a lot of like, yeah, there's not a dialogue of, about that. Yeah, I think that there's not a ton of examination of yeah. what he means. Uh, and I think that's I think why it's, it's hard to know if he really yeah. believes it or not. Yeah. And also, I think that the the movie knows that it's full of, like, knows sure, that his arguments are trash. Definitely. And so it doesn't feel the need to, like, rebuke it in dialogue at all. Definitely. 
I guess we can talk about to what extent are these people products of society, right? Yeah, but um, the thing is, like, his whole argument is that what they're doing is because of society. Mm-hmm. And so I don't want to engage with that. I don't know. It, it's becoming, in my head as I'm talking about it out loud, I'm like, this is fucked up because I, I he's you wrong. You don't want to empower that. Yeah. yeah. And I think the movie is very effective at disproving it because, not because of anything it says, but because of what it does, right? I think that the ideology of, oh no, we're all so fucked up, let's commit suicide, is not really an ideology that you can dispute on its own. It's one that you have to fight back with, uh, fight back against with actually life is good sometimes. And this movie doesn't have a ton of actually life is good sometimes moments. It's a lot of like really dark yeah it's darkly Pretty funny but it's very dark there's very little hope in this movie mm-hmm. but i think that the last 30 seconds when veronica reclaims the red scrunchie and goes and makes friends with martha dunstock like that is That's the reputation the yeah. of jd's arguments mm-hmm. you know it is the moment when you say actually you could have you, you could have reached out. You could have gotten there help. There are other options. Yeah. I agree with what you said about... Um, I don't think it's a flaw of the film that there's not more rebuking of mm-hmm. um, his determination to go with murder as mm-hmm. the resolve because obviously the film doesn't believe that that's the answer, yeah. you know? And I, I think... Yeah, that's one of the reasons that, like, this works as a movie very well because, like, it's a conversation that you can really only have in a movie because... JD is sort of like, he's a well-built character, but he's not a real person. If he were a real person, you couldn't really engage in anything he's saying because it's all bullshit. Yeah. But like the way that the character is written, it gives you an opportunity to look at it and say, actually, no, this isn't. Yeah. And I think the movie does a really good job of walking this fine line between... It's a very fine Glorifying that behavior. Mm -hmm. Because like you were saying, like, it's unfortunate that JD is so hot and that his aesthetic is so goddamn, like, undeniably amazing. Um, But they do, there are so many instances where he's so clearly in the wrong and he is such just a, just a sleazeball. Mm -hmm. And like the way that he treats Veronica, it's, they're not trying to hide that, you know? And so I think that's a mistake that would be easy to make to you know make that that villain like too relatable or too like bring too much humanity out in them and i think mm-hmm. i think i guess what i just want to say one point that i want to just make sure comes across is yeah. that while i i am not blaming society for his actions i do think that there is a lack of mental health awareness Mm -hmm. obviously and I think that when we are talking about um violence in schools school shooting and school shootings anything like that I think it's so important to make sure that that is um addressed that the way to counter this behavior and this mindset is to have at the forefront mental health awareness and and accessible tools for people yeah, anyway. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, yeah. like, I think that you said earlier that it's, like, a fine line, right? This is an exceptionally nuanced conversation. It's one that we're certainly not, uh, like, y- you can't say this is how to fix it because we're still, as a society, trying to fix it. Yes, um, yes. And it's ongoing. It's, yeah, like, we still have conversations about this, like, all the time about, like, violence in schools, teenage suicide, stuff like that. 
Um, how do you engage with that? And the movie leaves it fairly open. Like what he believes, what would have been the right thing to do here. It's all up to interpretation. And I think that's why I was like waffling so hard and like trying so hard to express what I was thinking, because it's really hard to draw a line between quote unquote sides of an argument because it's just this huge fucked up thing. It's like a massive obelisk in the middle of the room. That's like, deal with this. And it's like, I don't know how to deal with that shit. Yeah. I'm, I'm dumb. (laughs) All I know is how to make art and talk about art. And so let's do that. Yeah. Having the conversation. Yeah. That is, that is key. So I think that this is actually a decent thematic moment to talk about my issues with the musical. Um, so Danny's very familiar with the musical. I have listened to half of the music. Um, so yeah, this yeah. is this is Danny's. Um, it all baby. comes down to this exact same theme, like the exact same topic of like culpability, uh, and JD's character. Um, I think that on the whole, the musical is fairly good, but there are a couple lines that I have issue with that reframe JD's character, and are very illustrative of JD and Veronica's relationship um, that I just want to talk about for a little while. A L- little second. You can skip forward if you this want to. Is, this is the segment we call Danny Rants. Okay. <laughs> so uh, there are two songs in the musical. One is Dead Girl Walking and the second one is Dead Girl Walking Reprise that are very focused on JD and Veronica's relationship. Um, so in the movie, after the party where... Uh, Veronica and Heather both get sexually assaulted. Um, Veronica's hey, feeling yeah, Veronica's feeling a lot of feelings. Goes home, writes in her diary, and then in that moment, JD uh, approaches. Like he comes in through her window. He like he startles Veronica. She turns and this around. Is in the movie. Yeah, this yes. is in the movie. He startles Veronica. She turns so around. Text. He's like, "Oh, hey, sorry." Uh, but like I wanted to see if you wanted to hang out and then they go and like hook up and it's great but then in the musical um, the song Dead Girl Walking Veronica decides after the party she instead of going home and writing in her diary she decides that she's gonna spend the weekend um, doing whatever she wants which is cool love that we support her rights Um, and she goes to JD's house and she goes in his bedroom window and he's like, oh, my God, Veronica, what are you doing here? And she says, like, so those hey, roles are just reversed. Yeah. Okay. So the difference here is that Veronica is the one who breaks into his window. Mm-hmm. And then it doesn't seem like that big a difference. But then later in the movie, after when Veronica um, fakes her own suicide, uh, JD comes to her window again and he comes inside and like speaks to her uh, alleged corpse um, and then goes out. So this, so he came to kill her. He came to uh, like fake a suicide, right? Canonically, yes. Yeah, canonically. And the fact is that when that happens in the movie, it is a direct reflection of the other time that he violated her boundaries. And it's sort of emblematic when he comes to (laughs) murder her later in the film uh it's like a direct mirroring of what happened before so like it's him repeating this cycle of violating her boundaries coming into her room and and then bad things happen right and so that that first moment of him like coming into her bedroom window is reframed as oh my god wait this was never okay 
right? Like he didn't respect her boundaries and like she was cool with it at the time, but like it's when it's repeated, it feels so much worse. Yeah. And, and like there's a there's a pattern. There's an interesting poetic pattern. Mm-hmm. It's it's a very effective narrative tool. So like I'm not saying that this it has anything to do with the characters' decisions, right. but like the writing of it is very effective because it draws attention to what's been underlying this relationship the whole time. I wonder like why they thought that change was necessary. Yeah. What they were trying to do with that? Because yeah, yeah. because so I so in the, so in the musical yes. she comes to his house, snapping off your window lock comes in without knocking, right? And he gets startled by her entrance into his bedroom. And then in the musical, when he comes in later, uh, that moment of it being reframed is never, never occurs because when he comes into her bedroom to kill her, it's framed as like... like it's like equating is, the two. Yeah, it's equating yeah, the two. Like yeah. she violated his boundaries and he violated her boundaries, like coming in through the window. It it solidifies a pattern in the relationship rather than reframing an action taken earlier in the relationship. And I hate it. It totally changes the interaction that they have as characters. Yeah, um, their relationship. Also, like I feel like it almost relieves him of some of his his guilt, his, his guilt, and and also like yeah, his. His continued um, abusive patterns, like it, yeah. like takes away yeah, it, from that. It makes him less of an abuser. It makes him. Yeah. It makes his actions less worrisome, and it makes it like, oh, this is just how they are. They sneak into each other's windows. I, I don't like it. I don't yeah. like it. Um, and then the other line that I have issues with uh, in this, in the musical, um, it comes in the Dead Girl Walking reprise. Um, so in the reprise of Dead Girl Walking, um, she this is the final scene. This is when she's going to confront JD at the high school when he's got the bomb set up. Um, she says, his solution is a lie. No one here deserves to die except for me and the monster I created. It's She blames herself for what JD is doing. She thinks of herself as having created the monster that is JD. She's and, the catalyst yeah, in her like, mind. Which her, yeah. And also she says... She basically is saying, I deserve to die too, which is not the framing in the movie at all. Like she, the musical takes so much weight off of what JD did and just how disgusting and abusive and psychotic That's it was. That's not a good choice. Yeah, it's really Especially bad. in this day and age. Yeah, like and this came later. I don't understand that. Exactly. And like the character, it's. I wonder if they were trying to soften the character. Make him more like, give humane. Him, yeah, but like, I, I don't like that. That's a no, bad why choice. why would you choose He that? is an explicit antagonist. This this is the story of realizing that the person like, you care about is a piece of shit. I'm all for like duality in characters and like complexity, but like, no. Yeah, not like, in this situation. I don't know if they were, maybe they were trying to like reframe it as like a Bonnie and Clyde thing. None of that works because even though Veronica is a, is a bad person, like she's, not a good person through the entirety She's of this flawed, movie. Yeah. She was not, she didn't buy into this, you know? And like the fact that she blames herself for all of JD's bullshit is so fucked up because he, he's so internally motivated to kill people. Yeah. You know? Cause I see it as like, I think the reason why I related it to the window thing with oh, yeah, her totally. climbing through his window is because like in her mind, if I had never done that, like if I had just like yeah. refrained from going through his window, then maybe none of this would have happened. Exactly. And and I hate that. <laughs> it's so because it, it's so wrong. Yeah. Like it's narratively, thematically, functionally incorrect. 
JD is a violent, violent person and he would have ended up killing people. It's just that he decided to latch onto her in order to do it. And it's, it's not her fault at all. Um, and then, okay. And then (laughs) while we're talking about like society and justifications of violence later in that same song in dead girl walking reprise, I wish your mom had been a little stronger. I wish she'd stuck around a little longer. Which have we talked about what happened to his mom? No, we haven't actually. That's a big thing. This is a huge thing. <laughs> Perfect can, can point. You, to... Do you mind going over? No, over yeah. That? So we learned that his mother. So we know that his dad, um, his job he's revolves in, he's around in construction, but he, he often like it seems like he takes a lot of glee from the demolition dist- demolition version. Like, yeah. So we learned that his his mother. Um, was a victim of suicide. We learned that she was in the building of one of the buildings that his father demolished, right? Yeah. Like, and she is waving out the window. Um, of a and building he sees, so, so JD sees her. That's his last memory of his mother is mm-hmm. of her hanging out the window right before she is yeah. exploded to death. That is horrific. So like his mom died by suicide basically in front of him at the hands of his dad. Mm-hmm. So like his uh the demolition was already planned like it's not that it wasn't done yeah. for to kill her but yeah but, exactly but, but like she used that as the as the, the mechanism vehicle. of her, yeah. her suicide so and the thing is too like we see that she was also we can we can infer that she was a victim of abuse yeah, as well because a piece of shit. we we see his relationship with his father and that he is uh basically just like a a clone of his father, mm-hmm. like a mini clone. Yeah. Um, I would argue, I would argue he has a lot that's not like, he's a, yeah, yeah he's sure. He's a product he, of his father. He, yes. That's yeah. a better, yes. He's a product I agree of his relationship with, with his father and like the, sure. the cruelty. Cause he resents his father in. as well. Yeah, so yeah. Yeah. So, um, the fact, who doesn't resent their father? I know, Am I right? right? It's just that some of us are on like a different <laughs> level. Um, so yeah, like the fact that, the musical says, Ooh. I wish your mom had been a little stronger. It's basically Veronica blaming his mom, who was a victim of suicide and abuse, for what JD is doing. Yeah, it's And terrible. how bad a person he is. And it's so fucked up. Oh, my God. I think that there is an argument to be made that JD is a product of a society yes. and abuse. But... Blaming his mom is so fucked up. I hate the person who wrote these lyrics. I will fight you in the street if I find you. Okay? Go off. This is not okay. The fact... Or or I guess I can kind of see the argument that, like, it would be a little weird to... Like, it gives her a little bit more, like, agency as a character of, like, okay, instead of going home to journal... Sure, but that's... But but they they should have chosen a different different moment to give her agency. Like, the fact that she She has a lot of agency, I would say. The fact that she goes home to journal... After having a really bad experience at a party, like that's a huge that that is an indication of her character. Exactly, that is really really consistent with the rest of her characterization. Yeah. But then this, the fact that instead of going home to think about anything, she's just like, I'm gonna go lose my virginity to this asshole that I met two days ago and ran into at the stop and shop or whatever. Like it messes with her character. Yeah. It messes with the dynamics. Yes, and it frames her as having done something it wrong. It shifts the blame to her, and yeah, yeah even and if she's the one who's blaming herself, totally. like no, like <laughs> the fact is, you can be a bad person and still not be responsible for every bad thing that happens yes. around you. And that's a really but, important message. Yeah, <laughs> if the listeners go away from this episode, uh, understanding one new thing, it's that you know. Just because you did something wrong doesn't mean that the bad things that happen around you 
are your fault. Yes, um, And also, go make friends. I don't know if this movie is deep. I've just thought about it for so many fucking hours. No, we just proved that it's deep, yeah, okay? Like, I, <laughs> Interpretation the, above the all else. The fact that the musical flattens that line, that, that interaction, which is at the core of this movie, makes me mad. Yeah. And listen... I don't know how to wrap this up, but I know <laughs> no. that I made my point. <laughs> you have God beautifully. Damn it. You're beautiful. But I actually mean it. I actually mean You're it, Danny. Beautiful. Yeah. No, thank you for sharing your thoughts on the musical. Yeah, so yeah, my just loud know, thoughts. listeners, if you do, but go listen to the musical. To really check like, it out. Just keep that in mind. Yeah, understand <laughs> that there's some fucked up things about the musical. However, the music is really catchy. There's some really fun. Yeah, really fun no, songs. there's some bops. Like I was yeah. jamming out. Yeah. Okay. So I, yeah, do anyway. you have like so final thoughts on the film? Like uh, I, I think maybe let's take a quick reiterate. break. I need to go to calm down. Okay. Uh, do you we're mind gonna we... take a deep breath and yeah. then we're gonna come back with our quick final thoughts and wrap it and up. I promise <laughs> it'll be quick. Oh my god, this last section was way longer than I expected. I'm so sorry. <laughs> we love it. Yeah. We love it. Okay, we'll be right we'll back. Winterhawk Podcasting presents Lower 48, a horror storytelling podcast presented bi-weekly starting March 8th. Listen on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back, guys. We are back. I'm much less enraged. <laughs> we than took I was. some deep breaths yeah, drink some like. water i hope you all drink some water too so now that we're calm uh i think something that our analysis thus far has um failed to elaborately convey thus far in Which our is... analysis is that this movie is so hilarious like as deep it's and as so important funny. the themes are it, it's a comedy yeah i it is a comedy. <laughs> There's just like, it's so dense with very, very understated humor. And you still laugh out loud. And at the beginning, like just them playing croquet and the oh way God, that they yeah. go, we didn't even talk about croquet. You know, she has a dream where her head, they're using her head as one of the little like croquet points for them to hit the ball and it like hits her face. That's funny. Yeah. <laughs> the dialogue is very witty. Just the writing in general is very funny. The, the scene where they're taking the lunchtime poll, like the lunch thing. Yeah. Well, that's tropey. It's, they did it very well. It was very did, funny. Yeah. We haven't yet said the best line, the most iconic line, and such a fucking funny moment. I love my dead gay oh son. <laughs> Come on. Like that went down in history. This was a really good one. And it's it was tough. It wasn't an easy conversation, but But we, also we did it. We but had fun. So much fun. We always have a good time. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully you guys had fun too. Yeah. Um no yeah. We're we're just really thank you for listening. We are really grateful like for you and giving time. Your time. Time is precious. I do so not thanks. care that you're listening. I would be here for free. I love that. Bitch. <laughs> yeah, for sure. We're, thank you for being here with us I today. Would do it like, for, it, I would do we it too. Are, we are so happy that Danny, you're here. I would have this conversation with you regardless. We of, have this conversation every day. Yeah, so it's um, good. Just want to make sure you know that. I love you, Danny, And I love you, audience. I love you, Summer. Oh. And I love you, audience. Say, hey, you want to follow us? Come give us a follow. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter. Bisexually underscore lit, okay? Yeah. That's how you find us on Instagram and Twitter. Email us at bisexuallylitpod at gmail.com or find us on Tumblr at bisexuallylitpod. I dare you to come find us. I don't even want you here. 
Uh. I okay. <laughs> I love this movie. I love our listeners. I love my dead gay son. Bye. <laughs> Music by Gary Argyle. Bisexually Lit is a production of Winterhawk Podcasts. For more information, go to winterhawkpodcasting.com.